Hello and welcome, Exorcist Congregation. This is Tina. And this is Zoe. And this is Gaia. And you are listening to The Devil's in the Details, an Exorcist TV show fan podcast where we rewatch and discuss this amazing show one episode at a time. Today's episode is Chapter 6 of Season 1, Star of the Morning. And to quickly recap on what this episode was about, this has the entire Rance family engulfed in a storm of publicity while Marcus's search for Casey leads him into the terrifying underbelly of the city. I'm not going to pretend I wrote that. That was direct from IMDb. So thank you, IMDb, <laughs> for your contribution. <laughs> right, right. As a heads up, also, this does have spoilers. Please, uh, if you have not watched this entire season or the entire second season, go watch it now because we might be talking about those major plot twists. Um, well, I am so happy to talk about The Exorcist because it's been way too long since we've been doing this. It's been a two-week hiatus. I've missed you guys. And uh, let's let's get right into it. We've got our in traditional form. We're talking about the opening sequence with uh this is a flashback scene right and we have uh regan and her mother sitting down with the interviewer on looks like some sort of news show and um that's just a quick recap of what that particular scene was so what do we got there i liked it because they filmed it in a way that made it look like it was filmed in the 70s so it was like yeah it was traditionally filmed it was grainy they had all the right clothing on it was kind of a little bit hard to make out like some of the stuff going because obviously the footage is aged. So from a technical point of view, I'm, I'm liking the, the realistic feel of it. From a tonal point of view, it's a little bit harsh that he holds up a book while there's a girl sitting there going, and the demon in my daughter. And he's just like, oh, oh, that's a bit of a harsh title for a book about the poor girl and her experiences. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. But at least we now know uh, what the possession means for the one who went through it. So uh, we always had the the outsider's point of view. When Casey is possessed, we know what happens from the outside. Now we know what happened to the person who is possessed. Regan can't remember exactly what happened but she was there she was still there and that's a basic point to the whole episode she was still there she remembers and we need to remember this beginning because in the end we uh, are introduced to the word integration so we can we can suspect that when an integration is final, the, the immortal soul is gone. But we find out that that's not the real truth. So I think the, the beginning was important for many reasons in uh, this episode. Yes, it was just a strong thing in setting up that we've now got the definitive proof that Angela is Regan that comes from. Like, and we're also seeing the aftermath of what happened to Regan and also how she's such a young girl and how kind of lost and conflicted she is by being on a TV show talking about this thing that she doesn't fully remember or comprehend. And you just feel this sense of like she went along with this for her mother and she's really, she's just thinking, oh, she's doing a good thing for her mother. And yeah, the thing happened, but she doesn't really remember it. So it's not going to affect her. And then it dawns on her when he's all like, and how are you going to feel always going to be known? like you know the demon girl yeah that's exactly what i was thinking and the the pan the camera like closes in on her face and then that's when it transitions right into the grown-up version of angela and and you can tell that she's been battling with this this literal demon you know on her on her shoulder for her entire life and your heart breaks for her because god like that that you she she her mother did this to her not not intentionally like her mother even said that she needed the money. She wasn't, uh, you know, she was looking out for the both of them, but at what cost? And the cost was to Angela's spirit afterwards as, a, as just being a regular person that she couldn't do. It was terrible. Haunted by what happened to her, but haunted by 
the book and what her mother did to her and everything else. And she had to change her name because everyone would know who Regan McNeil was. So she went for Angela. And the choice of the name is very important. Angela, it's the female version of Angelo. Angelo is the Italian word for angel. So she chose to be called Angela because uh, uh, in the Catholic tradition, uh, angels aren't these nice little fat babies who flies around you. In the Catholic tradition, angels are the warriors of God. So she is protected by the names she chooses. Oh wow! Yeah, no, I, I, I never thought about the name choice for Angela. That's, uh, but it seems like one of those dumb moments. Like, oh my gosh, Angel, <laughs> hello! I like that guy. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Let's let's get tense. What this scene is is where Chris and Cat are together. Angela and Henry are fighting. Uh, you, you may remember, like, Cat is saying, you know, what are you? What am I supposed to call you? grandma and and they yeah. go and then at the end of it it's like chris we're calling her chris yeah these are some yeah. of the sequences where i'm like it's hard for me to watch sometimes because again like i just said earlier like i like people to just be happy and <laughs> all the time <laughs> yeah. in, in real yeah. life around me and it's hard when i have to watch all this like real drama yeah. happening but it's no it's necessary for the story it's necessary it's probably comes from a life of real drama it's just like how oh, i get them feel <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But I think that scene is very good uh, to show us uh, how the Rance family is balanced. Because Kath is uh, Angela's daughter. She is very tough. She is uh, very strict with herself. She blames herself because she was the one who called the police. So she. She thinks that because she acted out of love, she's to blame for what happened. Casey is more, uh, more like a dreamer, more like a free spirit, and she's Henry's daughter. She took from her dad while Kat took from Angela. So the same conflict that we know exists between Angela and Chris is also in the new relationship between Kat and Chris. Mm. Because the first thing she asks Chris is, uh, did you ever try to find us? Yeah. That's a very, that's a very accusatory thing to say. And she's sure Chris is going to say no. She doesn't expect Chris' reaction. Yeah, I, they, she's very combative with her cat, and, and justifiably so. Cat is upset because she's going, "Who is this woman that I've never even realized existed?" And and there's that all that vitriol is. I I get where Cat's coming from, but I also see where Chris McNeil is coming from too, because she she I think has this deep guilt inside of her for what she did to her daughter, and we see later in this episode where she talks with Angela. And she, um, she, does she apologize actually by the end of this? Does she even say, I'm sorry? They've come to like this mutual understanding. Yeah. Yes. It's like, like, cause neither of them were in the right. Neither of them are in the wrong. Cat wasn't in the right. Cat wasn't in the wrong. Like everyone's making decisions based on how much they love their family, but it's not always the bet. And I think Cat particular because of her decision in the last episode is why they're kind of having these struggles now. So she's, really trying to make it up to Angela by being a good supportive mother and coming down harder on Chris to make up for her own guilt of making decisions because she loved her sister and wanted what was best. Yeah. So all yeah. these women are all very strong, but they're all very conflicted. They don't always make the right decisions, but what's really interesting is watching how they all kind of forgive those decisions and realise the places they're coming from and how they understand that the way they act like that is because they are related and they have similar traits within them. And once you see those similar traits, it's easier to kind of come to a 
better understanding of people you love. Right. I like that you're mentioning how strong they are. I think that is one of the biggest appeals for this show for me, the way that they write to all of them, not as these women that are petty or cat-like or, or what can, what can seem as catty behavior, but it's all justified in my head when they write out these characters. There's nobody just being like, sometimes I watch these shows and it's, it's like, why would you even say that to somebody like this, this, this female character that's acting just snippy because that is what apparently a writer thinks a woman scorned sounds like. And it's not, there's more to that. There's more to, I think us, me as a, as a female than just being kind of like shallow i don't know how to say it they just have a depth to them that i really admire they are very well written women they could be fragile and strong which is like and they're not fragile because they're women they're fragile because the stuff going down is the stuff that would break a person yes right um, and they're yeah. not strong yeah. because they're women that have gone through hardships and are scorned they're, they're strong because they have learned how to find love in the people around them they've learned how to fight for the things they need and how to build a life and connection and it's just they're just like they're good representations of like female characters that you can kind of relate to and understand oh the one thing i haven't talked about was there was there's something i've written down about chris justifying her choice to do the book we did that oh uh, ouija borns aren't cute because she says she was playing with a little ouija board and it was cute and i'm like no 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 that's no indeed Indeed, and uh, Tina and I, we come from Catholic backgrounds, so um, since we were children, uh, we were told to never play with the supernatural, never play with the Ouija's boards, never play with this, never play with that. So uh, when she was, uh, oh, she was so cute. No, she wasn't. I want to talk about a Ouija board incident that happened when I was a younger child (laughs) as well. When I was in fifth grade, my friend, one of my best friends, uh, had one that she, that her parents got her. I don't know why her parents got her that. Now that I'm thinking about it, because she was also very A Catholic. Bad present. Yeah. Weird. <laughs> so, uh, no, but I had a legit like experience where we were playing it, and we did that stupid thing where we said you know, if you're real, show us that you're real. And the thing had been moving. It had been like moving for a good like 30 minutes and and it felt really real. And so when we said, do something to show your existence, in the bathroom, the the glass that was holding up all these little glass figurines just fell on the floor. Like that was it, just like by itself, just nope. down the hallway. And so we looked at each other like, what is happening? And so we ran over there and I remember my dad walking in too who was in his pajamas. I vividly remember because it was like the middle of the night where we were playing with this stupid thing. And he was like, what was that crash? And I'm going, oh, I don't know. It was just some crash. Something happened. I don't know. We're not playing Ouija board. <laughs> but, uh, I, but, I, but I remember he like, he like put his hand on the, on the air vent trying to figure out like maybe the heat from the air like caused something to melt the glass that was holding the shelf up. But he, he was he was sweeping it up. He was like, just be careful. There might be some glass around. But I'm like, I couldn't, I didn't dream this. This actually happened because I remember my dad like, ah, oh, it was just weird. It was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they're not toys. So moral story, dangerous. I think we have a demon. Okay. Scene three? Yes. What is scene three? Hold on. <laughs> I put it down as demon hunting. Marcus goes for Winchester. The- <laughs> that's yeah, what he said. Then that's what it is, where he's demon hunting and he's going full Winchester. This is the bit where they're in the van with Cherry and the dude. Yes. And they're looking at old maps and they're doing demon hunting and he gets that, you know, dad's old journal. Who's oh, and he's using, a, he's, using a, he's using a laptop. And I'm like, wait, Marcus knows how to use a laptop? Like, yeah, he's also <laughs> using police radio to listen to things. And it's just a bit like, I didn't know you had these skills. I thought you were a Dean Winchester, but it turns out you're a Sammy Winchester. Yeah, he's the best of both worlds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he really is. I only took away my important facts that was Marcus was in it, but I'm, it was it was that scene there. Like, I think they're they're trying to obviously find Casey, and they're looking up news reports, and they're looking for bits of information. And, right. Yeah, they're trying to find out where packs of road. Ro- dogs might be roaming wild dogs and they're like trying to put pieces together and yes. let's say they're going for winchester because it's like look at these maps and look at these things and look at this clues and clues yeah yeah and that's uh i i love that because it it makes it look like they're all like this team like the scooby-doo team like 
finding you know the the ghost yeah uh and bennett can he i don't know why he i love the dynamic between him and marcus so much but like when he says well maybe finding her may not be god's will and marcus just looks at him like you know bully off like i'm gonna find her i, I just love it because he's you know they're friends but they're still very much at odds with each yeah. other yeah yeah they sit how like marcus always is just like being a pain to bennett but bennett still seems to be like I'm gonna let it go. I'm gonna let it go. And Marcus is like, I don't like what you're saying, but I'm your friend. Help me. Yeah, I'm exactly. Glare at you. Exactly. It's a I'm good dynamic. Never, I like them. I'm still never gonna get over the whole like <laughs> Bennett giving him his Bible back, and Marcus just being like, "Great," yeah. and just walks by him yeah. without yeah. saying like, anything. Appreciate the man. <laughs> appreciate me. Marcus is just so used to it. He's like, "Typical, typical." I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bennett. Bennett is saying, "Typical Marcus." Okay. I'm a mess. Yeah, um, and then it has that beautiful line about him being Colin Firth, and they're like, "No, he's more like Alec Guinness." Yeah, and I'm just like, "Yay! I love this." Let's discuss British actors. So, on the British actor scale, who's hotter, <laughs> Colin Firth, Alec Guinness? Now, obviously, different age groups and very different. Colin Firth is part of the fop breed of British actor. They're your oopsie daisies. They're your rom com mans. They're your Colin Firths, your Hugh Grants, your Richard E. Grants. Alec Guinness is part of the like, I'm a little bit rough and ready British man. They're your <laughs> Sean Beans and oh, so Robert Carlyle's, and uh, you know, that gruffer type. And it's like, oh, actually, Marcus is a bit of both. I think he falls slightly more to the like, I'm the little bit of rough British type of actor rather than yeah. I'm the pop. But he's yeah. also got all that kindness and caring and that love in him. So I think he's a very good bridge between the oopsie daisy fop british actors and the i'm a little bit in rough and ready british actors and that is my my little bit of the exploration i'm a, I'm a little bit i'm a little british bit rock actors. and roll i'm a little bit country like he's got he's got a, the best of a lot of different yeah. roles somebody that you, you reminds me somebody on twitter who had recently watched the jesus christ superstar where he was playing punch's pilot described him as a mixture of brian cranston meets david bowie <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh i do see that like yeah. it's a combination of like this because you know brian kretz has kind of got this like gruffy serious older look to him and but there's also a very like Starman universe galaxy david bowie like fabulousness that resonates off of him and drove so there's a lot of combinations okay <laughs> where okay so should we do <laughs> go down to the next piece which was which is the next scene uh, we miss to say that when Marcus comes back, he is very pissed off at Angela. So he is like, so, so you let us go into that room without give us, giving us the, the right information. Really? Oh, so yeah, 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 he was really pissed and he was right. And for the first time, we hear the word, um, oh, God integration and and we we hear marcus talk about the demonic possession like a virus that spread inside the body so i think in this in this very moment we have the clearest picture of what the possession is what it does what it is and uh, they are running out of time now because perhaps if marcus had known that there was a grudge between the demon and angela lasting for the past 40 years he could have done something differently to try to help casey and probably he would have kept them separated because if it's the same demon, it's obvious that he wants Angela back. Because a demon would never forgive a mere human for escaping him. So, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, he was pissed. He should. You know, he should be pissed because he's a, he's doing his best as he can as a kind of detective exorcist and hold, withhold that kind of information. It's ah, uh, but 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 it was out of protection. It was she was trying to just to to still. Escape her past and 
I still see her point yeah. of, of why she did that. I see why. Yeah, but she was in denial. She was deeply in denial. Yeah. She didn't want to admit that somehow what, what's happening to Casey now is related to what happened to her. Because this is also the, the episode in which we see uh, the mothers blaming themselves for what happens to, to their children. Chris knows that if she had been more present, perhaps she could have seen the signs of something wrong with Reagan. And Angela is blaming herself for the same reason. Angela says something very sad and hard, a very hard truth. I wasn't there when my baby girl needed me. And that's what mm. still binds Chris and Angela. Whatever is going to happen to Casey, both of them must live with the realization that when their little girls needed them, they weren't there. But the fact that they own it and and are self-aware enough to say, I messed up, I think that's their strength and being open with each other about that. When when we see those those kinds of bonds form between them, whether it's Kat and Chris or Chris and Angela, that to me shows that it's a sign of the strength of the good. The strength of the good side when you're battling demons is when you can be aware of your flaws. And I guess it's more of like a greater scheme of things of like humanity. But I think they're that in the storytelling side of it, it's like when you know that these guys, after all of the shit they are gonna have to go through, they're still gonna win against this force because they have such an openness and awareness about themselves and they they they're trying they're trying so hard for each other that there's no way that they can lose. Yeah, that's true. So this next scene is uh really cool one where she's in the call center and they're all looking for Casey and what ends up happening is she receives a phone call from a dark voice and that is where we see another jump scare happens fairly quickly after the phone call. So where what were our thoughts on this one? I love I love the scene. I love it. I know it's a very good scene, but that like maggot ridden Casey is a truly horrific. Yeah. Yes. yes. Like it's but it's it's everything that I've like you know I've been building up to of like you know dust decay rot detritus and obviously maggots are detritivores they live off the flesh of the dead so it's, everything is coming to fruition and it's just all over her and you're just like oh my god it's not only like. You know, a mother's fears that her child might be dead, but her mother's fears that her child is dead and decaying and rotting and unclean and all the things that she doesn't want for her daughter because she went through all that as well. And it's just such a manifestation of like everything Angela knows about possession. And oh God, it must be heartbreaking for her to see it. And it's. Oh, I, I want to just like get behind the scenes and talk to all those makeup artists and being like, how did you make that look happen? Was it what? Because like that, that was makeup too, right? It wasn't CG. There was actual like stuff yeah. on her face. That was so cool. Like it had part of like her but, eye was coming the poor out. girl and like maggots? Did they just go well, sprinkle some maggots on you? Did, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure I would have coped with that. I <laughs> they just used some like... <laughs> Hobby Lobby glue, like they just like here's some glue, here's some maggots on your face, <laughs> go forth. Oh, no thanks. Go forth and fight. No thanks. <laughs> yeah. I would love to talk to yeah. people of this show because the effect and the stuff they must. Oh, it'd be brilliant. Beat you oh. would be something. But yeah. yeah, it's. And then yeah, and then Pazuzu is all like, call it saying like she's the bloom off the rose. So he's like obviously like trying to like get to her, going like, you're yeah. You're you're not as young and as fragile and as beautiful as you. Used I miss that. He, he he calls her. You're the bloom off the rose. Off. He says the bloom is off the rose. Yeah. What a bitch! <laughs> I didn't. Even, I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, he. I did not know he called her that. What a terrible. Oh, I hate him. I hate him so much, and yeah. I love that I hate him. <laughs> then after that, it cuts to. I don't know why I felt the need to write this down, but it cuts to Marcus. Like figuring out that they're saying like the wild dogs are roaming, and he figures it out, and he gets out his little Nokia. 
and I was like, I had that Nokia when I was a teenager. <laughs> it was like, that was a really popular Nokia in the UK. So I had yeah. a little bit of a nostalgia kind of going, look at you and your little Nokia. We all had those back when well, I was 17. It's a burner phone, right? Isn't that what they're called, burner phones, when you don't want to be tracked? I don't know. It just looked like the Nokia I used to own. Yeah, so I I think... <laughs> Right? Isn't it like, so you use these old school little phones that are kind of cheap, so that way people don't track you and you can easily just dispose of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah but I, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's true, but the only real truth about Nokia is that they are going to be here when the human race will be destroyed by something, so. <laughs> They're resilient little yeah. phones. I dropped yeah. mine in a nightclub toilet once and it still got fine. I'm like, oh, no, my phone. Oh, well, we'll just fish it out. You try it with the toilet paper and off we go. Try that with a smartphone. They'll outlive the iPhone. Yeah, try <laughs> that with No, but I... I just... <laughs> They absolutely are going to stay forever and ever. They're so they're they're very hardcore phones. But what I understand because I watch a lot of spy movies and stuff is that I love this part of Marcus's character that he uses these. I think Bennett uses them too because isn't there a scene later on where we see him and he even like smashes the phone? It's so it's a very stereotypical spy. Like has like all these different like Dean Winchester. Going back to Dean Winchester, they have all these different. Yeah. <laughs> like that way they can easily just get rid of them and still be off the grid, so to speak. It's just a cool little character quirk. <laughs> about it that i'm glad we're talking about this nokia <laughs> it's an important part of his character all right what else what else should we move on to the next scene or yeah next scene next scene's good what is the next scene i thought it is the friar's party angel lucifer <gasps> snake free will yeah yes yeah. yes with the apples where he gets the apple right <laughs> the, brother uh, is it brother Simon? yeah the that's um the second scene, the whole scene is split yes. in two. Uh, the first is Maria's yeah. party, you know, when all the fancy people arrives and Bennett arrives with a French guy he's been a glorified translator for. And uh, then yes. after he, he goes badass against the professor asking him, hey, you know, those fallen angels you you talked about, oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I call them demons, and the cool. G and that's when I was like, snap, yeah, snap. He called them demons. Yeah. He's like, calm down his face. I was like, yeah, and, you go, Bennett. You go. And douche guy <laughs> looks and at Bennett like, oh, really? But that's a Greek word that means natural spirit. No, that's not true. First of all, that's not what diamond means. And then you see our douche guy. Yeah, so we won't talk to you. Mm -hmm. You don't belong to the cool guys group. Go away. No, and I, I love can it, we just talk about how like Bennett can immediately sniff out like how smarmy and evil everybody is. He can just yeah. like, you see his like little like cat ears perk up and he's like, these guys are douchebag demons and I'm not here for it. I'm not going to let this abide. God will not stand for this. <laughs> he's just oh, he's perfect. He's perfect at it. Because I was going to, I was going to ask about that because obviously in like Asian beliefs and stuff, earth spirits would have been called demons by Western tongue because obviously in Japan and stuff, demon doesn't mean like something that came out of hell. A demon is just one of the various spirits that runs around Japan. Some are good, some aren't good, but a lot of them are like earth spirits because they were born not from human bodies and vessels they were born off the ground and then people didn't really know what they were up to and stuff like demons could be fey in like british culture and stuff so mm -hmm. i was a bit like oh yes because earth spirits like that kind of like but if it doesn't actually mean earth spirits the douche is just lying i was like oh yeah because oh, in truth man, uh, i wanted to keep it for the writing room but i can share it here diamond in in ancient greek means the uh, the being that is a, a connection between humanity and the gods so it's not that's what a daimon is and they can be good but, uh... and they can be bad but from the word daimon uh, it were uh, the word eidaimonia is born. Eidaimonia would uh, it means happiness. So a daimon can be good or bad. It depends on what 
he has to tell you. That's so interesting, guy, that you bring that up because my Catholic ears are burning. And when you say connection between humans and God, <laughs> I'm like, so wait, are you talking about saints? Because uh, they're the total yeah, like, let's, moral opposite of a demon. Let's speak about these in the writing room. But that's a beautiful question. Okay. Go, Tina. Thank you. I try. <laughs> I'm good for one thing. What about the apples? I'm, I'm just fixated on this apples things. I know it's kind of a different scene, but they're all evil and it all I kind think, of goes together. So. I think Zoe should tell us everything about apples. Oh, yeah. I think she should tell us everything. The beautiful, beautiful, yes, delicious exactly. apples. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I actually wrote the scene out and just literally wrote the apple. But he tells this story about obviously being like a priest and he's out shopping and the guy from the market is like, oh, for father, for you, obviously you can take an apple for free because, you know, good, holy man. And the, the the notion would be you would just take an apple, like, oh, thank you. But yeah. because he's obviously like a demon, he's just like, and I'm going to plunge my hand in there. I'm going to ruin your display. I'm going to probably cascade apples on the floor so they can't be sold. And I'm going to pick out the plumpest, ripest of fruit from in there. And I'm going to be like, I don't probably even respect this piece of fruit. I probably don't even want it. But because you've given me <laughs> the choice to take what I like, I'm going to make sure I take the best for me. And mm. it's just such a story of exactly what demons are. Like, mm. they, they instill chaos. Because one rolling apple could roll over, trip someone over, get stuck underneath a car. Because, like, the effect <laughs> of going after that one plump, like, right thing that he wants. <laughs> like, I'm out chaos! <laughs> I don't care. I hadn't thought about that at all, but... <laughs> I can see Brother Simon being like, what is going to be the repercussions of all these apples falling everywhere? I don't know, and I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't know how you don't get that, because literally he plunges his hand into the middle of it. All no, the apples right. roll free. I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. in the street, causing calamity in the road. They probably knocked out someone's poodle. Like, it's just like, oh my God. And the poor dude can't sell the rolled away apples of the ones that's been run over by the car. He's losing his <laughs> apple business. But he's like, it's all right. You're a priest. And I bet he takes one bite of the apple and then throws it in the bin because he's like, I've tasted that now. Don't even want to fully eat it. I just, I just wanted some chaos. You always manage to shed such amazing cartoonish light onto these scenes that I never would have thought for a second would have meant something more but now it does to me so thank you thank you for contributing to that <laughs> um anything more with the <laughs> with brother simon and our and our lovable little douchebag evil demon demons no no mm, no Not for now no so we're talking about the best scene ever with marcus in the yeah. alley oh that's where all my notes are <sighs> That's where, yeah, that's where all of my, all of my notes and headcanon come from. So this next sequence we're going to be discussing is Marcus in the alley and he is seeking out Casey who has been hiding up. Mark, uh, Thomas has already told him about, you know, look for the wild dogs, which are in this area, which is how he found the clues to go to this particular tunnel. Um, I think I think it is just beautifully, beautifully shot. The 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 demons that are the mini the mini demons, the lower level demons that are all around protecting are are fantastic. Um, Jennifer Pong directed this whole shot. There's a great behind the scenes photo of her on Twitter. Um, I'm just I just I'm fangirling way too hard on this sequence, but y'all go and then I'll do my weird <laughs> stuff. <laughs> As I fangirl away. <laughs> okay, so obviously we have a huge Marcus scene, so that always makes me happy. But my first thing was I noted just how much like a convict he looked through this sequence. Because he's like, that jumper, and he just looks like he's escaped out of the back of a prison transport. <laughs> rather than like, you would not go, oh yes, this is a, a priest and a man of God. You'd be like, oh, that, that, that's an escaped convict. And yes, I'm always like it's all it's all the death glares and the whole like serious smoldering like I'm gonna take out evil with yeah. my handsome eyebrows that he does a lot of the time. And then he gets to this tunnel 
and it's just so crepid and festering and all the demon minions are just like all kind of just like freaking out and just feeding off the chaos and as you get through it you get the sense that they fear him they see past the exterior that we've been presented the fact that there is a man of god underneath there they can sense that there's righteousness holiness and goodness from him and also they can sense that this is a man who's a threat to them because he is a very good exorcist and he is a threat to like demons around the world mm-hmm. like you know, he's only as far as we know losing gabriel was the first time he ever lost so the only time he really lost was the baptist so these things fear him so they won't attack they're kind of still cowering and yeah. away from him and not wanting to really approach him yet the human parts of them are like you know they're homeless and they're people that need help and the human parts are attracted to the light in him and want them to help they want to go up to him and seek yes. salvation and yes they're literally being twisted and torn about by all their dual natures and marcus for this is just so focused on he wants to find casey and wants to bring her out of this darkness and back into the light mm. but she's all pazuzu and she does the horrific wall crawl and it's just it's <laughs> i don't like disjointed movements like that that's one of those things that just like came out of asian horror films mm-hmm. i was like nope <laughs> for the whole full i'm on my crawling around and then she's on the side of the wall going like oh my god you're going full demonically possessed spider creature along the wall and it's grim and it's gross and it's terrifying and then then she just comes right up to the camera and it's Uh like what there is nowhere to look we are getting a face (laughs) full of like horror there and uh, pretty powerful sequence all of it it was scary like the um i i love that this is also where you kind of see like that marcus has a bit of his like exorcist superpowers. <laughs> I'm such like a superpower comic book nerd where all of the, they, when they all start screaming, you know, like, you know, stop him, stop him, stop him. And they're, and that one guy stopped him and all these other like demons start like surrounding him. And then he says, he like, it, it's like he kept, like Marcus kind of gets backed up into a corner and then shouts out to everybody in the name of Christ, get back. Like <laughs> super epic. <laughs> and then like daily, they have to jump Dude. back. And I'm like, yeah, that's like a cool little like like sonic boom. <laughs> <laughs> like Street Fighter style. <laughs> I, was, I was so into it. I was like, yeah, Marcus, you just look kick ass. You tell those demons what to do using your exorcist superpower magic. And then and then of course this goes, you know, after he finds Casey and Casey jumps out and it's the lake sequence. Uh that is just more again badassness all around um <laughs> but <sighs> i have to take a breath i have to take a breath when he gets casey and they're in the lake and he's like somewhat baptizing her in a way yeah just it's beautiful it's just beautiful it's all beautiful and then there's you know the the shaking of the earth and and the power comes out of him and all those fish die <sighs> very yeah well done scene i mean i'm always going to thank them for a scene in which like marcus now has to be totally wet and i was like okay, <laughs> it's always good but it's like let's get objectification out of the way before we we go on to like just like you know he's beautiful and now he's wet thank you um but yeah it's it's just i mean it's just such a testament to how good an actor he is like <sighs> devotion and the faith and the strength and the fragility that all comes through in yes. that one moment. Like his desperation to save her, to save himself, to feel God, to have God feel what he's doing for this girl, to cast out Pazuzu. Pazuzu caught between fearing this man, wanting this man, hating this man, needing this girl, like so many like strugglings and conflicts. And it all coming to this like baptism scene. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very well he- acted, well mm-hmm. shot. And I did, did y'all get chills too? Cause he, right before the big fish dead scene, he says, be buried with Christ and raised with Christ. And it's so like emotional. I'm like, that is the most kick-ass baptismal mini exorcism I've ever seen. Just like all the water over her. And then she comes back, her eyes yeah. get all big and she's like, <gasps> like it worked. And oh, I, I'm getting chills right now. Are you know, like, <laughs> It's really yeah. powerful, just the way her eyes open and you see life come back yeah. into her. And it's you, just like, 
you just you see it you see the point where yeah. life returns. even if just for a moment she is casey she's casey again and that's yeah. uh, in truth that's the real meaning of the catholic baptize we die with the sins that the water is supposed to wash away with us and we are born again in Christ's family. So that's, that's a real scene. Uh, that, that's what the, the real baptize was uh, during the Jesus times. When Jesus baptized John the Baptist, he did exactly the same thing because in ancient times, the baptize was given to, you, uh, to adult beings. So they were taken, put into a lake, and kept down. Of course, not long enough to kill them, but long enough to make it symbolic that in that moment, the sins were dying, washed away by the water. And when they were taken back, they were newborn once again, because now they were born inside Christ family. What he did was actually saving her life. Of course, uh, we know he couldn't do that because otherwise that would have been the, the end of the show of the first seasons. So we know mm -hmm. something else is going to happen now, but yeah, at least we know that in that moment, Casey's soul is safe. That's beautiful. Yeah, it really was. Oh, I, I need to be baptized after watching this episode. Like, I feel so like full of all these emotions and heartbreak for this family, and oh, and I want just Marcus to, to you know, put me under some water. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, that's yeah, wants wants to hold him in his comforting, loving arms. Yeah, which he's like one minute goes from being like powerful, super like exorcist and. Demons fear him, and he looks like an escaped convict. But he's got the power of God behind him, and he probably take you out to like totally devoted and loving and gentle and holding you as if you're the most precious creature in yes. the world. Yes, mm, <laughs> my Marcus. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, All right. I husband. <laughs> 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 Isn't our holds loving enough for you? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why don't you ever baptize me? <laughs> exactly. Look at me as if I am evil and dirty and bring me back into this world as clean. Can you not do that for me? I'm a, I'm a simple wife. That's all I ask, husband. Come on. <laughs> oh, these poor guys. Um. So we're in the writer's room, and and this is where we speak a little bit more deeply on the symbolism of of the of the scenes and what we see from a cinematic and a writing perspective. And and Gaia, it sounds like you have an amazing amount to contribute to this. So please go go right ahead. Okay, I think I will start with the meaning behind the vocare pulvere. Of course, the ritual is totally made up. It doesn't exist in reality, but, but what is important in the whole thing are the organs chosen to be born during the ritual. So we see the eyes, we see the kidneys, the heart, and the liver. All those organs in different ages and cultures have been said to be the location of the soul. Of course, we'll start with, we'll start with uh, the liver and we'll keep the heart for last. The liver, the liver is, uh, uh, for the Etruscan culture, is the, the organ that gives you the possibility to know the future. When the priests were asked by the kings to tell them what will happen in this battle or this war or uh, will my wife be able to give me 
a male hair, the priest would have taken an animal, usually a bird, killed as an offer, and then he would read the viscera of the bird. When the questions were of a bigger importance, the animal would have been bigger, and the first thing the priest would see was the liver. If the liver was clean and uh, wasn't stained by the bile, it wasn't damaged by the knife used to sacrifice the animal, then the king would have a positive answer because inside the liver was the meaning of the truth, the way to see the future, and then the soul. The kidneys. The kidneys uh, are a little bit more complicated because they belong to the Chinese medicine. And in the Chinese medicine, the kidneys is the, the location of um, the ancestral qi. It's uh, the energy that is given to us by our parents in the moment of conception, and it's the energy that should last all our long, all our, all our life long. So, if something happens and we lose the energy of the kidneys, we lose our lives. Connected to the, to the kidneys in the Chinese medicine are the eyes. The eyes in every culture we meet that left us uh, written, uh, witnessing or their religious beliefs, the eyes are the way a spirit, good or bad, can enter inside our bodies because the eyes are the window inside our soul. So to burn the eyes means to give the demon you are going to call with the vocare pulvere the possibility to enter inside your body. And last, of course, we have the heart. In almost every culture, the heart is the location, the main location of the soul because every emotion is born from the heart. And what are emotions if not the, the representation of our soul? That's, it's, that is translated in the Catholic culture with the holy uh, heart of Jesus. What is the heart of Jesus? is the thing that represents his humanity. And what is Jesus' humanity if not the representation of his love for us and the reason why he decided to sacrifice himself to save us all? So all the organs used during the ritual are simply the representation of the soul and we can't forget what? and we can't forget that in this episode we know we learn that demons are fallen angels nine people are killed nine organs are used for the vocale pulvere nine is a very important number in the symbology, because not only is three times three, and three is the number of God, so nine is, is called the most perfect of all numbers, because it's three times the perfect number. <laughs> and, oh my God, like, I need to like react to some of this because you're blowing my mind again, as usual. So the okay, that's amazing. The three times three never occurred. What uh, the organs do? Do you think that they were so? That, do you think it was intentional? Yeah. Like they were they were yeah. choosing these specific ones because yeah. those connections. I'm to the sure of that. This kind of I'm sure of that because oh, I'd love to talk to the people. I'm sure of that. I, I I think I also know what kind of books 
they read because I gave an exam at the university about the same thing. So I, I could also imagine what kind of books they use to research that. But nine is very important for another reason, because we learn that the demons are the fallen angels who rebelled against God following Lucifer. And how many angelic choirs are in heaven? Nine. Nine is the number of the angels. And with that, <laughs> and with that, I, I have finished with my long exposition about numbers and about souls and organs. <laughs> <laughs> It all comes together. It, like, it comes know. beautifully together, full circle. Wow. God, they that did that research to create that ritual. That ha yeah, I, I have no doubt that the writers, whoever was putting together the Volcati Pulveri, was like, how do I make this something deeper religiously and how it, how it sinks into the, the, the old stories of these angel figures? Ah. Oh, I, I have nothing. I have nothing to add to that. I'm like, that's really cool, demons, man. Like they they seek out things that have connections to our inner souls through our liver, you know, symbol. Like I, that's, that's, uh, uh. <laughs> glad to be of you. Glad Thank to you, be of you. <laughs> I was just thinking, if I were a writer, I'm like, what are <laughs> this is my level of writing style? What would be an icky organ to burn? Ew, liver sounds gross. That would be the depth. <laughs> uh, so, Zoe, did you want to do your piece too of your writing room? My mind's not, mine just, it's not quite so mind blowing and break throwing, <laughs> but never mind. I'm sure <laughs> it is. is. Yeah, yeah, it great stuff. But yeah, mine was just, I was just, when I was thinking about that scene in the tunnel, and then I was thinking about how Casey's body and and possession of a body is so much like an infestation and like a disease and how it's reflecting how the city has the disease going on. They keep saying like there's poverty and there's squalor and there's areas that are not as nice. They don't want to take the hope from certain areas. They're not. And people do, uh, people are saying like the city has a disease, you know, and it's when you see this tunnel, it just reminded me of like the blood vessels in a human body. So Pazuzu is the demon and is the infection that's taking over Casey's body. But he's also the foreign object in this tunnel. And he comes in and he starts affecting all those around him. And it's such a literal representation of like the disease that's infesting the thing. A foreign body has come in, possessed a girl, corrupting her, like diseasing her, rotting her flesh. Pazuzu has come into this tunnel corrupting them, infecting them, spreading his disease and his madness. And you can imagine that if he continued through these tunnels, they would have continued this infection and it would have grown oh, towards the city God. if Marcus hadn't come in, like, you know, got knight in shining armor or white blood cell of, like, recovery. <laughs> like, come in <laughs> to kind of go, quick, let us purify this nasty mess. Oh my god, that's brilliant! And it makes it, it makes it even more sense to why the sequence would end with yeah. them in this purifying lake water scene, where the most classic way to dispel nastiness in your body is everybody says just drink a shit ton of water, like you'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's also the 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 deeper meaning of that's where your yeah. your spirit is cleansed too through those baptisms. It's it's God, man, these. These writers, these directors, they've they are very good. They got something. They are amazing. Only thing we didn't touch on is this is the first time we see the twisty eyeball. Oh yeah, that's true. Double people, isn't it? It's the first yeah, that's we see double people. Yeah, is this the first yeah. double people? Yeah. Wait, didn't didn't um uh the Bishop Egan have one in his? No, own? because Wait. I don't think I don't think Bishop. No, I don't think right, Bishop right. Egan is possessed. I think he is just a, a douche. Oh, uh, yes, you're right. I'm just perpetually <laughs> confused all the time. So <laughs> you're right. having a tough time. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say we we have that integration yeah. scene, in oh. which obviously the demon does not choose Maria, and she's all like, "I'm well upset by this." That's that. Yeah. So. 
Cockney British. Sorry. Which <laughs> 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 is well upset. Um, but then you see for the first time what integration looks like at a split pupil. And I just think it's one of the most amazing pieces of iconography from this series. True. A lot of artwork now inspired by the split eyeball, including our logo, which Smeary did for us. No, it's 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 perfect. And I and I love that it, it does that weird. It kind of rolls in from the upper right hand corner of their eye and it just kind of like pushes the other one out the way that like a demon pushes your own human soul out. It, they do yeah. a great job that even that little movement means a lot for how the, in the grander scheme of things, demons move in and it, and push everything that's good about you out and it's uh, <laughs> i love it and oh and even the did, was it just me was i imagining like when he got integrated did his neck also like come yes. out like that it did did it like it did. expand yeah. i think that was, that was the cool. physical representation of the demon actually entering the body and taking possession of of a place that was supposed to be shared by only one soul so now they are two and yeah. They are fighting. They are. I wonder, like, so re refresh my memory. Do the the demon in in the imagery of it? They yeah. actually show yes. it going through his mouth, right? Yeah. Question for you: Do you think a demon visually on any movie or TV would ever be a different way of of infesting somebody? Because I feel like in Supernatural, they've done it in a lot of Exorcist movies. It comes through the mouth. In Stephen King's Dreamcatcher, the evil demons possess poo and crawl up the toilets asses <laughs> in yes. the series yep there's weird demonic poo slugs that go up people's bums in series eight of the x-files there's an episode of a tiny like played by mo's deaf i think a tiny little indian man who's disabled he wheels around on a board and clearly he gets pissed off so he decides to go and possess the dude that like shunned him and so he hides in the toilet yeah. and crawls up his ass so it's either the mouth yeah. or the ass, <laughs> which again is like it's all about, it's all really linked to, to demonic possession, and these things are all really into um, phallic symbolism yeah. and rape. Yeah, yeah. because if yeah. you violate someone, those are the things you violate through the orifices, and obviously the orifices that are going to offend you the most are things like mouth, ass, yeah, female genitalia. Right, right. I'm, I'm almost thinking. I want, if anybody ever wants to change it up, I wonder if they're ever going to try something through a different orifice that's still just as icky. Like, what if it goes through, like a belly button? Like, remember Matrix did that? Like the 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 invading yeah. uh, parasite like actually opened up the belly button and went through that. Yeah. I think it has such such. It, there's so much potential with yeah. a lot of this like body horror that you can do with new ways. You know, if we get a season three or season four, I'm always thinking like, how else can we make it gross? Like. Could it go well, into the Well, they could ear. do what the strain, the strain did, the vampire virus being these hideous little things that went into your eye. And oh, I yeah, think yeah, much yeah. more eye horror freaks me out a hell of a lot more than like yeah. mouth horror does. Right. You don't want things piercing and crawling into your eyes. And the same fact that they were like going into their eyes, I was a bit like, oh, it's in their eye. That's yeah, that's yeah. Uh, what would be like yeah. the least effective? I'm now I'm thinking like what's the least effective way? Like through somebody's like <laughs> big toenail. Like, I, yeah. Well, you've got to think it's got to open up their body. That's why the belly button's not really useful because it's a yeah. sealed wound belly button. Right. If you yeah, you can't you can't actually get inside yeah. the body through the belly button. So that's just like a bit like you'd be like, oh, let me in. Oh no, I can't get in. <laughs> well, I'm a bit derpy. Like I, I mean. Obviously, just for like your shocking value, I'd like to see like a guy being possessed for his penis. Well, that's so, what actually in real life, that's what some parasites do. You've heard yeah. about those people that pee into yeah. those li those rivers and then the, the and little parasite <laughs> goes up. So it happens. So uh just word of inspiration to any of the crew that's listening to the exorcist <laughs> may want to consider <laughs> going going through the pee pee hole <laughs> yeah, there we go don't do that don't ever do that please <laughs> okay but for the sake of pure horrific visual sounds and just like and also a lot of these things are all like it's it's all kind of representations of rape but it's always against a female body Mm -hmm. Have a representation of possession on a male body and seeing a man go through that mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Would be interesting Ooh. to see. Ooh. Well, like Andy? 
Yeah, so like when you think about positions, it's like, you know, it's, it's normally the mouth and stuff, but mm. they talk about it in very much a way of like, obviously it's invasive. They always have, not the victim be female as in like the biological sex female, but it's the, the experience is coded as a female experience in the way it's presented. Like yeah. a feminine coded construct. And, and it would be interesting to see something take on what happened if you had a male coded like visual so that like men could know that fear of invasion or or can be represented you know that kind of you, way you've got my anime brain thinking i'm like how, what would be a male's version of being invaded i'm thinking like the anime well, sword like going through yeah, there's like, a sword like, thrust is that there's always the hand thrust they do obviously yeah. the most famous example of it is the alien films in which all the like you know the man gets penis raped by like a giant jaw then he gets pregnant and then his fear of pregnancy i mean that's yeah. a whole other thing i could talk about that's all about like the male body suffering those yeah. kind of injustices and how it's played out well i have a few um just just like um one i'm stealing from the discord the group chat this one came from romy who read an article that Alfonso uh, had an interview with. And long story short, the interviewer asked um, Alfonso Herrera, who plays Tomas, um, did anything strange happen while shooting season one? And he said no. Uh, he was not really scared about being in the show. Fear wasn't in his mind. But one week before, he did have a dream. And he felt as if someone quote-unquote, was sending a message to him. And the message was that no matter if you believe in this or not, this isn't a game. Take it a little more seriously. Wow. And apparently that freaked him out quite a bit. Wow. And yeah. 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 yeah that would scare me. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was just interested, like, behind the scenes, like, I think when you deal with this kind of topic, this kind of content matter, something so, I think, primal to our human existence, you're opening some yeah passageways to think deeper things that we don't know about we don't know it's not i'm not saying yes or no that it exists but i'm just saying we don't know so good on to whatever that divine spirit told him or his own brain told him like just be careful because that's where it's a story yes yes exactly my fun fact number two is one that i think a lot of people know about is just the the term lucifer uh, the title of this episode is Star of the Morning. Lucifer comes from the Latin lux, meaning light, ferre, meaning carry, so light bringer, uh, uh, loosely translated to uh, Star of the Morning. So I um, wanted to just put that out there again if anybody didn't catch that. And then finally, the point about, um, I just want to fangirl again about the director here, Jen Jennifer Pong, who I was like online stalking like her biography and everything and wanted to know more she's got some really cool work out there some films i love that i love 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 that this show um constantly employs women in the writing room and in the in, in the director chair even the next episode is directed by a woman um and i think it just it basically about her is she is um uh also like uh, not only this great filmmaker and she creates these stories but she's a scuba diver and i'm like what a badass like she just, i just want a fangirl for her like she's just sounds cool i want to just be able to say hey i'm your fan <laughs> which i did on twitter <laughs> so <laughs> if you're out there listening jennifer pong you you're amazing and an inspiration um thank you for your work oh oh, oh i did have one more that you know sharon glass who plays chris mcneil's um who plays christmas neil angela's mother yeah. you know that in real life she's only 13 years older than uh Angela. Wow. The, the Gina wow. Davis. Yeah. Wow. I would have never said it. Fun facts. There we go. <laughs> no. Our final segment of the Exorcist Congregation. Shout out. Thank you. And thank you. As we usually do. Thank you. Hey. Thank you. Thank you to everybody listening. Yeah. You are loved. Yeah. You are loved. You are, and, you and you are, are precious. You are valid <laughs> you are precious <laughs> there's um this this particular fan account she she uh, does a lot with the um more ben daniel side of it but uh it, 
F it's the Tumblr is F yeah Ben Daniels have y'all seen that yeah. one? Oh, I I think so. Yeah, so but, but she does a lot for the like the online tweeting as well and getting everybody aware about the renew the exorcist efforts. So wanted to just do a shout out to <laughs> F yeah <laughs> F yeah Ben Daniels uh Lena Die this is her Twitter handle Lena Die. Um so Thank you Thank for all you. you do for the exorcist congregation and renewal Yay. effort. Then <laughs> we should come up with like an end sequence. Like this is the end of the <laughs> fan podcast. <laughs> all right. <laughs> kind of like, I know awkward silence. I know awkward silence. And we're done. Yay. 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 Thank you for listening. Woo.